Hello, people of Earth. This is Tesco with Rip Kenny and Trap Jesus, and you're listening to the uh, Human Music Podcast. Woo! Hmm. Human Music Podcast. I like it. We recording, baby. Back for another episode of the Human Music Podcast Woo! with my beautiful ass co-host Trap Jesus and Rip Kenny, and we got Hello. a special guest, good homie of mine, Squashed Out. Thanks yeah. for coming on today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you want to just kick it off real quick by just telling people what kind of music you make, what you're into. Quick rundown. Yeah, what sure. Is squashed Out. So I made. I started making music uh, probably ten years ago. Right when Scary Monsters and Nice Sprites came out. Basically, right as soon as I heard that EP from Skrillex, I was like, oh, got to look more into this, get more that into this. game changer. <laughs> yeah. So then, uh, yeah, my dad was nice enough to do some research, and he got me Ableton and just kind of went from there. Cool, man. Uh, yeah. your dad helped you with that. Like, yeah, like super cool. people's parents are like, you want to do what now? <laughs> oh, boy. Get outside and throw the football so you can be all American. What are you doing? <laughs> oh, and he's were... also a Canada boy. Yeah, all right. Well, yeah. We play lacrosse up here. Play yeah. all Canadian. Get, get them skates on, boy. You want to be all Canadian. Right. Um, but uh, yeah. yeah, no, they were super supportive uh, when I asked if I could go to school for music production and stuff too. So yeah, it's good to have that. Yeah, I heard you. Uh, you went to Icon. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a really cool experience for sure. We would love to hear about that. Tell tell us about how that came about and what the experience was like. Sure. Yeah, well, it was at their uh, old location at uh, on Burbank, and uh, it was really cool. It was like this old studio where you know, like Michael Jackson used to record at, and a bunch of other big dinguses and stuff. And um, yeah, it was awesome. We had like private mentoring each week and tons of different courses, anything from music theory to engineering, just basically, you know, the basics of what you need to know. So, yeah, it was awesome. Met a lot of cool people there. Uh, some of my friends are now touring DJs, so that's really cool to see them do well. And, you know, they're still down to earth, too. So that's nice. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, man. Um, actually, we ended up meeting through the whole icon thing too, which is which is pretty dope. Even though I never ended mm-hmm. up going, but um, you want to tell the people a little bit about like what kind of music you produce now and and sort of where you're at musically currently. Sure. Yeah. I honestly mostly just assorted bass music of any kind, but you know, a couple times a year I'll be inspired to make like pop music or hip hop beats that kind of thing. But mostly I just release like uh, dubstep and house music and drum and bass and all that kind of stuff cool and i guess uh what i was hinting at is you want to talk a little bit about as well about like the production or uh sorry the mentorship side of things and what you're doing with defire and and your students and that kind of stuff sure yeah so um not sure if anybody watching has heard of defire but it's just like an online school kind of like producer dojo which is also another awesome one and um yeah we got like workshops with big artists like multiple times a month like we had must die and you know fox stevenson a bunch of people like that so that's really cool um and then for the students they have like me and then a bunch of other 
like bigger known artists doing like feedback streams each week, which is pretty cool. Like Oski, Odd Profit, that kind of thing. And um, yeah, they got lots of courses. And if you ever miss one of the workshops, it's like they save it in the vault and stuff like that. So yeah, it's a pretty cool, pretty cool environment. So, yeah, man. so like when you got people like must die rolling through for workshops, like what, what's the kind of stuff they're going over? Usually they just kind of dissect a couple projects. And usually what they'll do is um, the students will vote on which songs they want them to dissect. And then if the artist still has the project file or, you know, a STEM version or something, they'll run through it and kind of give some tips and tricks along the way. And then usually at the end, end of the workshop, they'll just have like a Q&A and then kind of answer some quick questions and yeah so awesome. what are like what what are some of your favorite like tips or like stuff that you've learned from like huge artists like that because that's a pretty like close interaction or touch point for some you know people that like all of us i'm sure revere as being right probably the biggest thing is you know a lot of people always say you have to do this or you have to do this and the one thing i've noticed is like everyone kind of just has what works for them so probably the biggest thing when you're learning is like, don't actually think you like 100% have to do one thing or the other, just kind of try everything out, see what works. And then whatever you like doing best or whatever works best for you, just, you know, that's kind of how you sculpt your own sound and your own techniques and stuff like that. My style one was pretty huge because, you know, he's pretty, pretty crazy dude, you know, music wise, but um, his process was actually really, really simple as it usually ends up being right. But it was just kind of cool because it's just like it always goes back to don't overthink shit for the most part. <laughs> yeah, totally. I remember I remember listening to an interview with I think it must have been like back to back with Willie Joy podcast or something like mm. that. And he was talking about how he likes to start with just like the simple like init patch and get like a riff or something that like sounds catchy. And then like once he has like a catchy rhythm or melody or whatever, then he'll like actually turn it into something. But um right oh it's that's always something that i felt like works really well um being able to just like distill the actual writing of the music down to something simple so that you know it's gonna work once you put a cool patch on it right you know, totally starting yeah. with the grand piano or a, a knit saw like if it sounds good with that it's because the it's because the chords are good not because the patch is cool because you can kind of trick yourself if you start with like a cool patch and you know, write something basic. Um, That's he true. He also seems like such an interesting person. Like he's very, like, very unique in like how he thinks about things. Like you can tell he's just, he's got like a different framework for like how he thinks about and associates all of the different pieces of the, of the puzzle, which I always thought was kind of cool. For sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, I did want to like circle back really quick to Icon. Um, it's only because we were just talking last night about like the value of like going to college for music in today's day and age and debating, you know, what, what the pros and cons of that are. And, and for the most part, we were of the opinion that a place like icon would probably be worth it. We don't, we don't know like what the ins and outs are, but like, for the most part, you're going to, if you're going to school for music, in you know like a music degree of any sort you're usually you know you got a lot of prereqs that you don't give a fuck about and you have <laughs> right yeah like a lot of other associated classes that you're doing and studying but it's not really like how to make good dubstep or whatever type of music exactly to make, yeah you know? so what was like the curriculum like 
And like, what was the, what was the learning process really like there? Yeah, for sure. I, um, I really hope that they've updated their curriculum since I was there. When I was there, um, everything was new to me. So it was awesome. And, you know, the nice thing about really one of the only benefits of like a, you know, in-person school is, well, there's a few, but a couple of big ones. Number one is socializing, meeting cool people and stuff like that, which is pretty major actually, Mm -hmm. because I was a pretty timid person and I still ended up making friends. So pretty valuable there. But, um, I guess like the other thing is, it's just, especially compared to today, um, basically everything we learned, there's a YouTube tutorial for it now. Or there's the Fire for it, or there's Producer Dojo. Mm-hmm. You know, there's tons of options for way less money. That wasn't so much the case back in the day. I remember when I was looking into going to Icon, it was like Dubspot, Point Blank, or Icon. And for me, the obvious choice yeah. was Icon. <laughs> but um, yeah, for me, it was good just because it was like the absolute fundamentals and stuff. But none of it really went, like you say, very in depth on like any specific genre and stuff like that. And yeah, we kind of just had to hand in like little beats instead of like full songs a lot of the time. Sure. And, um, you know, a lot of people would get super inspired by all the cool stuff they learned there. And so they'd be more kind of like, well, I, I want to make a whole song, not just mm-hmm. some cheesy beat to show that I, you know, learned this one thing in Ableton yeah. or whatever. But uh, yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, totally. Okay, so like... That that does make a lot of sense in the context of like your like course curriculum, curriculum, <laughs> curriculum, uh, curriculum. Um, did you have to take like compression one hundred and one and like you know pop music yeah. one hundred and one or like kind of what was what did what did that look like? Yeah, so we had like a music theory class, which is which was very basic for anybody who knows music theory. For me, I kind of struggled with music theory, so that was good. Um, so just kind of like you know difference between a minor key, uh, major key, kind of knowing where the notes are on a, on a MIDI keyboard, just some basic stuff like that. That's really helpful for producers. Um, and then we just kind of had like a general mixing and mastering, like engineering class, which was pretty cool because they have, you know, some analog gear and stuff like that. So we got to play with like big consoles and stuff like that. Really learn it from, you know, hardware stuff, which is cool. And that covered, you know, compression, EQing, all that kind of stuff. And then we had like a couple more kind of abstract classes that were also, you know, pretty useful. Like we had um, Art of Flow, which was kind of a little bit uh, hippy-dippy, but it helped a lot of people out. It um, kind of good, just kind of, it's like abstract stuff, but once it clicks, you're like, oh, I get what they're getting at, if that makes sense. Yeah, just kind of like workflow mindset is what that class was. It was super nice. Yeah, that's, and, um, that's huge. Like, it's a, totally. it's a lot of what we talk about at Producer Dojo as well. Just like, yeah, okay, it's cool if you know this, that, and the third and the real deep technical aspects. But if you can't mm-hmm. get into the workflow, it you know, you're not going to get to the point where the technical parts matter. Totally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for like, sure. I feel like it's one of those things that there's just not a good YouTube tutorial for. Like, you can learn mm-hmm. compression and, and, you know, mix down tips and multiband side chaining and all the nitty-gritty technical stuff that you want but a lot of people aren't really talking about how to set yourself up for success in in a workflow standpoint um and also just like generally good practice for like writing music that flows like like actually has a good groove to it and stuff like you can learn how to make the craziest sounds but if it's completely put together in an uninteresting way then it's you know it falls flat and though 
it's like those for sure matter way more than the rest of the stuff that you're doing like you could use basic cymatics one shots and if you have like a nice groove with those in your drums and your sub and well you, you it came together quickly because you set yourself up for success you're, you're nine times out of ten you're going to be leagues ahead of everyone else i got um, a question for you if um if you were going back in time and sort of starting over again but you could keep one nugget of knowledge workflow wise do you have anything that that really stuck with you that that changed your course of the way you work and and how you write music yeah definitely that'd probably be um especially for beginners i think beginners get a little bit uh frustrated because they're trying to make a really good song like a full song from the get-go right i think the better way to look at it is like can you make a spicy 808 can you make a spicy growl like just focus on one thing at a time and then uh, kind of just go from there right instead of worrying too much about the big picture um so for me i guess just in general for me it's just been like uh have fun making sounds and just like you know if it doesn't work for a song i'm working on just add it to like a batch writing folder so anytime i make a melody and it just doesn't work for a song i'm working on or something i don't get rid of it i save the midi clip and i'll like bounce out a little loop too with like a random preset just so i know what it sounds like and just save it in kind of like a big uh batch writing folder and then i'll just name the key and the bpm and stuff like that and then chances are it'll fit just fine in whatever song i'm working on next because I mean, most EDM is just in like a minor key. So it's not like you're borrowing chords all the time or doing anything fancy. So, you know, it translates from one song to the next a lot more than you'd probably think. But um, yeah, just saving little one shots and things like that and not doing everything from scratch, I guess, every mm -hmm. time. That's yeah. huge. Have, has there been any, um, like one thing we always, you know, circle back to, especially with guests is like, no matter who we talk to, whether they're one year in, whether they're 25 years in, it seems like every like three, four months-ish, there's like one thing that you pick up on that really totally. like, ends up being your thing for a while. Mm -hmm. what, what's been like your most recent thing that you've integrated into your process that, that you've been working with? Ah, that's easy. I, uh, I don't know if you guys know Luca Predalesi, I think he, is, is his name. But he's a mixing engineer for Diplo, and he, he runs like Studio DMI and stuff like that. Uh, him and then Reed Stefan, the, the puppet guy who has like the YouTube channel, they started a, like kind of like a their own little online course thing called My Mix Lab. I just signed up for that and um, watched uh, Luca's like mixing and mastering video. And one of the things he went over was expansion, which I had never really messed with before. Besides and what he would OTT, do, obviously. Sorry, what's that? Besides, besides OTT, obviously. obviously. Right, right, yeah. But um, what he would do is just kind of like subtle amounts of compression and then subtle amounts of expansion afterwards. So he would kind of like, you know, reduce the dynamic range, but then kind of like boost the transients on certain things again. And he even boosted the transients on the master, which is really strange, but it yielded really good results. And um, yeah, I just, my master chain for the longest time was like... Uh, Kind of like an edit of i don't know if you guys know guys know figure he's a dubstep artist and um when he went to icon back in the day he was nice enough to kind of pass around his just kind of template mastering chain which was like three otts on different settings in like small amounts and then it had like a vintage finalizer preset from like ableton 8 or something like that and it actually works really well if you don't know much about mastering and stuff and it gets really good results and it's kind of been what i've been working working with for the longest time but 
Um, now, after watching like the Luca thing, I kind of just get the mix a little bit better first. And then on the mastering chain, it's just standard clip, clipping the transients a little bit and then just like ozone maximizer and that's about it. And it sounds a lot better. <laughs> yeah, very cool. It's interesting how like when you look at somebody that's, that's become well integrated with their workflow, it's, it's really quite simple when you see the types of moves that, that these people mm -hmm. are making. Nothing would really blow your mind. And I think it's interesting for a lot of people coming up because they'll watch a tutorial on like multiband compression and they're like, holy shit, that's difficult. I can only imagine how difficult it is to do a whole master or whatever. And it's like, you look at somebody like that and all they did was like boost a little high end and compress or whatever. And right. you realize that once you actually get to know your tools in and out, you're not really doing a whole lot with them. But you also need to know when to really push those tools and, and, and use them at their extreme settings. But yeah, generally speaking, everything's very straightforward. Totally, yeah. Definitely. I, I like to hear too that like, you know, he had three three OTTs on the master, something that like normally like an engineer would hear and just scoff at. <laughs> just, oh, right, yeah. Oh no, oh, you've gone all wrong, kid. What are you doing? And like, yeah. you're not gonna tell figure that. So like, that's just another like reinforcement of like, figure out what works for you. Totally. Sounds good, it sounds good and roll with it. Yeah, I mean, one thing Figure said too, he's just like, I don't care if my mix is perfect or my master is perfect. He just wants it to sound like him, basically is what he said. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, that's interesting because then you don't have to worry so much about it being the perfect thing or minus one LUFS or anything like that. You just gotta, you know, make sure it uh, works for what you're trying to go for. It's good Maybe. enough. Many a master have been ruined by just staring at that meter and cranking yep. the limiter. <laughs> I am guilty for sure. Me too. The only reason I know that is because I've done it plenty of times. Yeah, I mean, hearing about having, you know, three OTTs in a row, some people, like you said, would be like, wait, what? But, you know, like learning from Seth Drake and his, uh, his course, The Approach, he does so many things that completely revolve around serial processing like yeah. okay i'll oh, have definitely. multiple compressors in a row on this vocal and this piece is just reducing the overall dynamic range and then i've got this one that has completely different attack and release settings that's just working on the transient and then mm -hmm. i've got this one that's just subtly sculpting it after that so each version of the plugin is only doing a subtle piece of what you need it to do exactly instead of trying to make one setting do everything which it's yeah. never going to do well yeah well it takes so much of the load off of the the limiter or the compressor or whatever it is and you get such better like more transparent uh results doing it that way less squished less squashed sounding Less squashed out? No, that's yeah. not what we were looking for. We want it to be more squashed out, right? <laughs> I wanted to ask, um, as somebody that does a lot of track feedback live with people and, and does private sessions as well, is there anything that sticks out to you when people are, are yep. handing you in music to review? Yeah, I'm going to yep. take it away. Yeah, there's, there's two things that every, like literally every student gets wrong until... I say they've done it wrong like a few times and then they kind of 
that's when usually when they get better, at least from my feedback. And that's um, resonant frequencies, because especially in bass music, things get really harsh really fast. Mm. And um, especially if you're like newer to making music, if you're blasting those resonant sounds at you all day, there's no way you're going to be able to hear it. So uh, a little bit of ear training is the number one thing I would recommend because everyone's song is harsh, <laughs> regardless of style, even the vocals. Vocals, there's lots of resonant frequencies. Mm -hmm. um, just That's just the way mics work. Uh, and then the other thing is trying way too hard to make things super, super wide stereo-wise. And like I'll, I'll flip it into mono in Ableton and almost the entire track will disappear. And I'm like, dude, listen to a Skrillex song. It doesn't have that much stereo information. So my favorite, my favorite is when you open up the project and you just, you're clicking through the tracks and you're like, why does every track have widener on it? Yep. <laughs> Like even the kick. <laughs> yeah. Like everything. Um, yeah, man. Pulling in stuff is really huge. And we've talked about this before briefly, but if if you're just sort of setting and forgetting your elements at the width that they are, or you're maximizing everything, you're like losing out on like 40 to 60% of your overall stereo wideness because you're not considering like, you know, like panning inwards and like pulling some stuff in and really giving everything its space. And yeah, while it's cool that there's differences between the left and right side, mm -hmm. it's as if you're setting up your orchestra with the fucking brass section sitting on the string players heads on one side. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The other people are on the other side and like maybe your drummers in the middle and there's this wide open space. But when you actually approach it from that way, it's, it's much more intuitive. For sure. I think for anybody watching who needs a tip, I would just say uh, there's a free plugin called Midside Matrix, and it's got one volume knob for the mono signal and one volume knob for the stereo signal. And basically, it's really good because you can kind of just gain stage how things sound in mono and stereo. So that way, when you flip back and forth, you know, maybe you want it to sound a little bit better in stereo, obviously, but that way you're not losing too much. And then you kind of know, bless you, Nick. I'm that's nice of you to meet the mic, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Subtle surreptitious sneezing. That's what's up. That's right. You thought you got away with it, didn't you? <laughs> didn't you, Tesco? Just sound designing in silence. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just try to, you know, get the mono and stereo signal kind of roughly the same and it should be just fine. Mm -hmm. Um, one thing I really like about your style is is your approach to sound design and the way that you approach writing your music. One thing I find with a lot of students is they, they don't realize yet that everything is, every part that you're learning in the beginning is like somebody's full-time job. Like somebody just does vocals. For sure, for real. just does sound design and somebody just does writing and whatever whatever so when it came to write when it came to like getting better at sound design i get a lot of people ask me you know how to how to grasp the fundamentals of sound design and and there's a few things we've touched upon before like making sure that like your fm your your lfos your filters all that stuff are locked into nice like resonances and there's a solid tone but it still feels like when people approach sound design, there's this 
almost overwhelming factor to it because there's just so many knobs and whatever, whatever, regardless of what synth you're using. So, you know, as somebody that, that I look at and, and, and think really has sound design down, you want to give a little insight into sort of how that journey looked like for you and roughly quote unquote, how long it took you to get good at sound design from, from beginning to end, sort of like, how did you approach that process? Sure. Yeah. Well, for the longest time up until like this year, pretty much, I was just legit twisting knobs and then, you know, seeing what sounded good, watching the odd YouTube tutorial to obviously understand what knob does what, uh, you know, FM from B and that kind of thing. But uh, other than that, just just randomly doing stuff. And I really liked it because I would always get cool results that weren't necessarily the best, but like I'd never heard before from other people. So, you know, that was, you know, really important to me. So like, um, yeah, that's pretty much it. The only other real tip I would say is just lots of automation, regardless of if you think it sounds good, if there's not lots of automation and filtering and, and movement, then it's probably kind of lame. <laughs> yeah, so basically I, I would just like loop a section and, you know, even if you like, even if you're just using like a cymatics preset, like if you're not too into sound design, you can make it sound a lot better in the mix. If you just kind of like automate a reverb throw or even not even a reverb throw where it's like lots of reverb, but just a little bit of like a reverb tail or, you know, just a couple auto filters or, you know, swoop in a frequency shifter at like 20%. So it kind of gets a little racy sounding for a split second. Like it doesn't really matter. Choose your favorite effects, whatever sounds good and just automate them. So it's not just like a weird stagnant, stiff kind of sounding sound, you know? What's your thought on processing in the patch versus post-processing? And, and do you have any tips for people as far as post-processing goes? And, and just for perspective, how much do you do within the synth versus post? For sure. So it kind of just depends on what sound you want to go for. Uh, for example, like if you listen to uh, like Riot, who are super talented, like they mix like metal, all different kinds of stuff, like orchestral stuff. Uh, like Middle Eastern type sounds, and it just all fits together really well. And the dubstep part ends up sounding really good, but it kind of just sounds like they're just kind of manipulating a preset, but it sounds great. But, you know, then there's like people like Sudden Death, where there's no way you would ever sound like that if you're doing everything inside Serum. So it just kind of depends on what you're going for. I don't think one is really better than the other. I, um, I personally am not the greatest at sound design, so I always do a lot of like post-processing and resampling to get weird sounds instead of doing it in the patch. So I'll kind of just kind of get the patch to be somewhat not sucky <laughs> and then just do everything outside of the patch. Just, that's just kind of how I work. And that's how I've seen a lot of people work through, you know, icon workshops and Defire workshops. And there's a local studio here at Night Vision that does workshops with people and same thing for them. So, yeah. That's, that touches on something I like to tell my students a lot, which is like, focus on your strengths. Mm -hmm. If your strength isn't starting patches from the ground up, start with a cool patch, tweak it a bit till you like it a bit better, and it's a little more unique to you, mm -hmm. and then record like a melody or a chord progression you really like in it, and then focus on doing some cool, happy accident, mud pie, you know, right. some, yeah, some yeah. simple stuff that can yield you some good results, even if not all of it is what you were looking for. You know, it's like, oh, that one little moment I'm using as a turnaround like six times in the song because that shit was lit. Totally. I'm sure you guys have probably talked about this on the podcast, but um, it's kind of like the old old uh, saying, um, some dude wanted to make a song. So he started with 
uh, samples and loops, right? But then he felt bad, so then he sound designed his own stuff. But then he felt bad, so then he tried to like program his own synth. But then he felt bad because he didn't have like acoustic drums. So then he bought acoustic drums, and then he felt bad because he didn't actually make the drums. So then he skinned, a, a, you know, a real goat and cut down trees. And then by the end of the, you know, year or whatever, he's not even making music anymore. So it really just depends on. Yeah, he's got no time yeah. with all the goat herding and all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so just so, don't really worry about it that much. You you touched on something that I, I really love about the process of making electronic music, which is you don't need to know what every little minute function does. Totally, yeah. You You can screw with it until you like it and then save the project. You know, save save the presets, save the rack that's doing the thing that you like. Who cares how you got there? Mm -hmm. If you even meant to do that, if it generates something that you like, now you have that thing. You just created a tool that you can add to your toolbox. And I've, I love that because it's not like, you know, when you're playing guitar and you're recording a riff into the computer, oh my God, how many times does it take to actually get that thing just right where you're like yep that's the one i'm going to use hundreds and if you want to play something very similar but one note different you got to take those hundred takes again to get that mm -hmm. next one you can use for that next project it's not like that when you're working in the daw you get to if 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 you make this preset that works really well you can run that through five different melodies for your next five songs totally an organization called millennials against real instruments <laughs> that's hilarious that's yeah awesome. I, I like to tell i like to tell people like nobody was mad at Jimi hendrix for not inventing his own instrument or not building his own guitars or exactly he, put he it didn't upside down he didn't build right he didn't build the guitar he turned it upside down he lit it on fire he 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 shredded in a way that was his own he didn't invent his own amp he just cut the amp he already had with a razor blade so it sounded more fucked up. Like he took what was there and so working for everybody. Preset, exactly. He took the preset and he tweaked it. He's like, oh, nobody else is doing it quite like this though. And that's enough. Especially if you've got something else original about your track or an original melody, you know, an original vocal pre-drop that people really relate to or, or like repeating. Like, mostly you're not supposed to reinvent the wheel especially in dance music like a lot yeah. of people try and reinvent oh but my drum pattern's really complicated so that makes it good right it's like <laughs> nah nobody knows where to dance to this like totally. pretty much you want to count to one or two in dance music like do, where's the yep. front beat and the back beat or just the down beat on a four on the floor track like you don't you don't have to do a lot of math to dance to music and that's that's the point totally yeah it's like um when i was younger uh my dad and i were at uh, just like a family party and a family friend is like you know a really talented guitar player and he kind of thought he was gonna wow everybody with his talent right so he's like noodling like crazy on the guitar going doodle 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 like these like crazy complex patterns and everyone's like wow very cool and then my dad, who kind of just messes around with guitar sometimes, picks it up and just plays like a couple like power chords from Green Day. And people are like, oh, I had no idea Jim was a professional guitar player. Like, what the hell? Like people much preferred just like the basic power chords. And that was a good like yeah. lesson because it's like, yeah, just whatever sounds good is best. 
Yeah, just just learn how to play No Woman, No Cry, and you've got the entire party with you, no matter right. how much of a virtuoso the other guy is. <laughs> That's Man, awesome. Um, go for it, Evan. I just wanted to touch on the Jimi Hendrix thing. It's so it's like such a beautiful reminder of like the most stunning display of artistic creativity, flipping the guitar the other way. And and like you said, taking the existing object and just cutting up the amp with the, a razor blade. Like so simple, like the such a simple idea, flipping the guitar around because he was like opposite handed instead of getting the right guitar. And it's like that simple act can be the defining factor in something like totally. so unique and different. And it's like almost to the point where like, if it's, if it's as simple as possible, it will be the most genius of the ideas because like it's pretty too, much it's yeah. too simple for people to actually, you know, consider like, no, obviously not, you know? Um, I just, I just love that. I love, I love the ethos of that idea of like breaking all, the most simple convention being the best way to do something. Mm -hmm. different. Totally. Yeah. A good example too, even for guitar is like, I don't know if you guys listen to Polyphia, but like in some of their <laughs> hey! songs, they just like run Ooh. through like a vocoder from Ableton. I'm pretty sure. I don't know for sure, but that's what it sounds like. Is, yeah. And all I can think of is just like, Hey, finally someone used a guitar with a slightly different tone again. And it's like super refreshing to hear. And it wasn't, it's not that complicated. It wasn't like a genius thing. They didn't make their own vocoder. They didn't, you know what I mean? But uh, they just it sounded put really two, cool. They put two tools together yeah. that exist for everybody, but nobody had quite made that combo yet. Totally, yeah. Yeah, yeah everything conventional that, that you're used to hearing that sounds quote unquote good sounds that way because you've heard it a shit ton of times that way mm -hmm. like an 808 drum machine doesn't like it sounds good sure but the only reason it's a classic is because it sounded like that at that time and it was one of limited options and now it persists to this day yeah and a, a lot classic of sound but totally it been anything else and a lot of those drum machines were considered cheesy at the time you know unless you were like really into i have no idea who the first like you know, electronic people were craft work or whatever, but most people thought that kind of thing was pretty cheesy, but it's because over time it gets more and more used, right? So, yeah. yeah. If you mix a little bit of that with like a little bit of uniqueness, like the Polyphia or Jimi Hendrix or whatever, then you got a good recipe for a spicy tune. Totally. One thing um, uh, about what we were talking about earlier, when it comes to a lot of dance music, I think a lot of people don't truly realize how important drums and sub alone are. Totally. And that's like really 70, 80% of your mix. And I like to draw the parallel to like, like trap music, right? Like take like the most like generic, uh, like appropriated skirt, skirt, trap track, where it's just somebody yelling over an 808 and some, you know, typical trap drums. And everybody is quick to pick on that. But if you really break down house and drum and bass and dubstep and whatever, it's all the same fucking drums for the most part. And I'm mm -hmm. telling people, if you could get your drums and sub dialed in 
Just like how trap, you could take the SpongeBob theme song, you could take the national anthem, you could take just throw anything. a needle underneath. Yeah, and it sounds sick. It works every time. If you could get your drums dialed in, whether that's house drums, whether that's drum and bass, whatever, halftime, you get those transients right, you get your leveling right, you get a sub leveled in with that that sounds good. Save that to your template, save that mm-hmm. to your library. Now you have 70% of the process accessible to you in two, three minutes. And if you don't believe me, nobody dances to chords. Nobody dances to vocals. Nobody dances to your guitar or your effects. Drums and sub alone will get a room moving. And I see all those like cool mid basses and shit. People like to, to like get prideful about sound design and whatever, because it's part of the genre and whatnot. But to me, I don't care how crazy cool your mid bass is, how complex. To me, Mm -hmm. it's the same way a vocal would be riding over a trap beat where the bass and drums are booming. That dubstep mid bass is the vocal in my eyes to the dubstep drums and dubstep sub. Totally. Or in house, you know, whatever. It's funny you say that too, because like earlier I was saying that I feel like just this year I got good at sound design. And I guess part of that, which I kind of forgot earlier, is exactly what you're saying. Like, and I have like a sound design template now where it's just got whatever genre I have a few. And then like, like for example, the dubstep one already has the drums exactly how I want them. And just kind of like a sustained sub playing E or F just so that it's like nice and thick down there. And then basically just like any sound I make over top sounds so much better than when I was just focusing on that, you know, mid frequency sound. So yeah, it definitely helps out a lot. One thing I tried doing recently too, is exactly that, getting the basically the fundamentals down, right? The drums and the sub. And then actually at the studio I go to, they have like the real-time auto-tune. So I'll just kind of like beatbox, and it's real cringe, but it's really fast. So basically I tried like beatboxing like a dubstep pattern uh, and then kind of like auto-tuned the notes. And then because it was auto-tuned, I already had the MIDI. I just pressed the audio to MIDI conversion or whatever in Ableton. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I already had some, you know, I had to tweak it, obviously, but I had the MIDI. And then from from there, I kind of already had like a structure for the idea that was in my head, right? I'm like, oh, I need this filter movement here. So it goes, wow, wow, or whatever the hell. And uh, yeah, it was super fast, super fun. Man, I'm glad you said that because in our last question and answer video, we had uh, a student reach out and ask, how to go about drop phrasing. And, and we gave that same advice where it's like, record oh, yeah. yourself just going, and then chop it up into quarter notes or half notes or whatever you got. And you could be like, all right, this is a long sound. This is a stabby sound. This is a whatever. Now you go sound design that, or you go find sounds you prepared. And it's a much more effortless and catchy way to write because generally you're not going to hum some shit that sounds or feels awkward or weird mm-hmm. or, I mean, yeah it kind of has the the smoothening done for you right because exactly. before when i would make like a dubstep drop it'd be a bunch of bullshit ideas and then i would take the least bullshit one and then kind of like almost simplify it and dumb it down and kind of just like sculpt it to something smoother right but yeah the yeah, whole yeah it's a linear way to to get a song idea out too. Like you know, mm-hmm. um, 
Bill Gates teaches in, in the dojo about avoiding the layer cake phenomenon where you've got all these different sounds on top of each other competing and instead doing what's called a checkerboard where it's like, okay, this lead sound, then this one, then the third one and back to the first. And right. when you're beatboxing it, you can literally only do one of those sounds at a time with your mouth because you can't, you can't make a harmony with your, <laughs> with your vocal cords. So exactly. it gives you that, you know, that linear quality, everything's kind of laid out and separated for you already. Mm -hmm. And because you beatboxed it and just came out naturally, so you don't even really have to think about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm actually, I, I got something that I wanted to make sure we touched on uh, before we leave. And that is y'all collab, Homies in the Club. Because oh. that's my jam. Uh, that's in my DJ playlist. Uh, I've played that out a few times and uh, I want to hear, you know, how that song came together. What was the process there? Uh, and, uh, and, and your thoughts on that, you know, looking back at it. Damn, you're going to have to ask Nick on that one. I don't even remember what that song sounds like. And so well, looks um, like we're going to have to listen to it. Let's hey. go. All right. We'll run it up in a, we'll run it up in a sec, but the backstory behind that track, and, and this is something we always talk about too, is find people mm -hmm. to work with, find people you believe in that, that are also in the same vein, trying to do the same thing you are and push each other to be better. And that was, that was a huge part of, man, maybe like, maybe we eased up on it like a year or two ago, but for two, three years prior to that, how long was it since we met? It was like five years. And shortly after that, yeah. we met our friend Kieran lurking shadows and we would very regularly get on Zoom. How's and now, Kieran doing, by the way? Not to sidetrack you. Kieran's but. doing great. We're going to get him on too. Yeah. Shout out lurking shadows. Hmm. But uh, we were getting on often, right? And we were helping each other grow and doing all these collabs and often hopping on two, three of us at a time. And one of us screen shares the project, the other two dig up samples. And, and uh, actually, one of the first tracks that I was really proud of that we put out was, was a remix that we all won together for High I'm Ghost, which was a huge turning point for me. And, and, and that came about through that process. And, and that shaped, I think, all of us in some way. And it goes back to, to what we talked about before. Find people because... Obviously, you know, helping people below you in skill level, quote unquote, it is awesome. And you're going to learn some stuff that way. And, and getting mentored is awesome, too. But when you have somebody that's on the journey with you, it's a different way about going things. And so we found very quickly, all right, we're all thinking the same way about this. We can all very, we can clearly come together and write a track that gets crowd reaction, but we're struggling to get past that last 10%. And a huge part of me learning that last 10% was us coming together and basically just uh, inviting each other to a bunch of like splice co collab projects. And I think there were like 50, 60 in there. Oh, that's right. Yeah. We all that, had a bunch of like throwaway projects. And so I yeah. guess I think that song was a throwaway project that, Nick decided to open and, and work on and, and finish, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, so you had you had uh you had most of that first first drop laid out, and then it was just a matter of you know fleshing it out into multiple drops, a full structure, all of that stuff. But 
you know, when, when you look back on a lot of these ideas, none of them ever would have been brought to life if it wasn't for multiple people working on it. And so sure. I think that's huge, man. Get all your friends, get all your whips together, get all that shit and make a Dropbox folder or, or whatever your hosting service of choice is, Splice, whatever. Because the thing is, I learned so much digging through your projects that you never would have even thought to explain or maybe thought was obvious That's or whatever. True. whatever. Yeah. I was like, oh, holy shit, look at the way he's layering his bases. Let me try and make a drop to doing that. And then I did that. And then, you know, all of these things, I think we complemented each other very well stylistically on all the collab tracks we did. And, and, and I can say for myself, that was a huge part of my development. So For the Homies was just an extension of that process. I think that was... That was after, or no, that was before the Choppa remix. So, so yeah, that was a long time ago. It's a pretty that was yeah, that team. was when when things really started to get rolling was when we we were regularly meeting up and zooming, mm-hmm. and and just to bring it all around, it's cool now because we live like two hours away from each other, and it used to be like thirty hours away from each other, and and you know our homie lurking shadows is killing it as well, and I think. I, I look back at that phase of things and I, I saw huge exponential growth there. So definitely encourage everyone to do the same. Do it for the homies. <laughs> for the homies. Yeah. Uh, so it sounds like one, one producer's trash is another producer's treasure. And then all of a sudden both producers dope collab song. <laughs> yeah. So, oh goodness. <laughs> so keep, keep hold of those whips. Uh, yeah, like I said, I'm a big fan of it. This is uh, For the Homies by Tesco and Squashed Out off of Tesco's Something Wrong EP. I'm going to play some new stuff real quick afterwards. <laughs> homies in the club. Like it. Yeah. Man, whoever whoever did the mastering at Producer Dojo for that song did a wonderful job. Because I don't think me and Nick mixed it very well. (laughs) But it actually it cracks. Master-wise, it sounds all right. It cracks. Yeah, dude. What you guys did the drums and sub, right? That's for sure. Yeah. And that's and that's why it worked. Even even now, I me and Sean both look at that with some level of cringe, but it still works. And, and, and people, major level of reason, cringe, that always ends up being the favorite. When, when I talk to people off that EP, especially because because the drums and sub are dialed in and, and the, the groove is strong. So let's yes. talk about that, though. What? Why? Why cringe about that? It's I don't like, know. It just reminds me of like all the stuff I used to, to do. Tectonic stuff. No. 
That's not what we're it's doing. Like, it's like looking at your like high school prom photos, or it's like looking at you brace faced as fuck, or like pimply AF, and you're like, ugh, I like a, look at teenage old me. I'll Fair enough. I mean, you know, it's like, it's just like. I'll tell you whatever. what, though, for someone who doesn't remember all that went into it and wh- who I was when I made that song, the song still slaps, man. Yes. Yeah. Like, I mean, from from just a just being me and not having anything to do with it completely detached like that song starts out puts you in an atmosphere you know it's like got that minor key it's kind of epic but it's understated and it like it's as a dj it's easy to blend that in from something which i really dig that's true and then that that little vocal and that like robotic british super toned down like we've got (laughs) We've got homies in the club. Like <laughs> that always sticks with me. It grabs people. Anybody who's at the club is probably there with friends or at least feels like they're with friends when that shit hits. So it's like, yeah, my homies. Everybody likes homies. So it's like really connective and simple message. And then when it drops, like Evan was saying, the, the drums and the subs are super dialed. And then it's got that melody, that one simple thread of melody in a good patch it's not a crazy patch it's not the most innovative patch but it's like a really solid pluck that just brings me along and gives me something to pay attention to and hum later like i can when i'm not listening to that song i can think of that melody still there you go it's just hot to me and it's it really kind of goes to a lot of what we're saying. It's like, you don't have to have the craziest shit going on. It doesn't have to be complex or complicated or layered. It has to be one really solid idea at a time on top of really solid drums and bass. Even if the mix isn't what you wish it was, even if you know you look back and cringe as the artist, like somebody else could still absolutely love your wonderful, beautiful, simple track. And uh, I think that's a good lesson for all of us and everybody listening. Yeah, goes to show you don't even need to like your own music to make it. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. <laughs> yeah, put One less pressure big. on yourself. It's a big part of, I think, quote unquote, writer's block, which if you've been listening, you know we don't believe in that bullshit, but <laughs> it's a big part of that. It's just like overthinking shit and thinking... I should be doing something different. I should be doing this or that, or, oh, I don't like this anymore, so I'm not going to release it. But it's 100% fresh to everybody if it's 0% fresh to you. Uh, artistic mm-hmm. ego getting in the way will will put the roadblock on on many uh, attuned people would enjoy. Yeah. Um, the writers, I, I think the writer's block is that eight hours on Saturday that you that you put on your calendar to write that is the writer's block that block of time that you said i'm going to show up and lay down whatever ideas i have and not judge myself too much yeah and not start getting distracted by bs and tubing (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) i think on that note (laughs) oh are there any last words that we want to talk about he said he was going to play some new music don't yes we'll get to that we'll get to that I want, I want to hear that shit. <laughs> I wanted to ask, is there anything you want to you wanna leave the people with? Where can they check you out? Plug the pluggables. Let the people know what you got. Uh, just search Squashed Out on any website, I guess. <laughs> Spotify, SoundCloud, Instagram, whatever. 
Um, yeah, I got a couple new tunes coming out, or hopefully a handful, just kind of chopping with labels right now. But uh, if not, I'll just self-release them. We got penis music coming out. Sick. All right. Uh, not a collab with Tubin? <laughs> That's right. This Featuring episode Tubin. should be the penis music podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll probably be the first one to come out. And then a collab with Nick that we made years ago. Uh, that's been finished this entire time. We just have to like also take the master not clip. Yeah. Yeah. Also yeah. from the for the homies era. Oh, then you know it's good. I have I have a random side. <laughs> Mildly spicy. What, what is the uh, what is the genesis of the squashed out name? Oh, um, it was back when I didn't know anything about mixing or mastering. Uh, so just yeah, everything I was doing was kind of like squished and squashed, and uh, yeah, it's kind of. I used to go by squeeze beans when I was really young. Squeeze <laughs> beans? I thought, yeah. I still squeeze love squeeze beans. beans. You should switch back to that. <laughs> squeeze beans? Are you kidding me? That's like. <laughs> Maybe that's an EP title. That's like. Squashed out presents squeeze beans. Oh, so silly go. and catchy. So yeah. Yeah. I just wanted something kind of silly, but like so many people gave me like a weird NPC face when I said that. And I was just like, ah, maybe it's kind of cringy. I mean, um, yeah, but that's why it's great. <laughs> Squeeze beans. It doesn't make any sense, but it does. <laughs> there you go. But it does. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's really just the only quote-unquote meaning of squashed out is just kind of, you know, loud music. <laughs> yeah. Great. Heavy music. I like it. It does fit. It does fit. The connotation I have with squashed out is like loud in your face, like bass music. So like For sure. It. There's definitely a squashed out sound. Amen. Cool. Do you want to bless the the peeps ear holes with with some new squash? Sure. Yeah, I'll just uh, share audio here. Yeah, you know how to do. Just hit the advanced tab. Or yeah, I guess you can the screen too. Look at that. <laughs> Very fitting. Is that your own three D render you made for the EP or what? It is. Yep. Yeah, speaking of which, <laughs> <laughs> I was kidding. That's amazing. <laughs> um. So yeah, I guess I'll play that one first. I think this one. Yeah. Let me know if it's too loud or too quiet. Pee, 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 pee. Pee, pee, penis music.
that oh, one. Oh my god! Then, what, what tempo is that? I like almost couldn't keep up. Is that like one eighty? Yeah, it's one seventy four. Hey, it felt faster than it's. It felt faster than one seventy four. I don't know what kind <laughs> of energy boost you were putting in that penis music. Maybe put <laughs> stems in there. Or something. There's, yeah, there was definitely some gas station pills involved. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. Uh, I'll play you <laughs> one more. Yeah. a slapper um that i really like that one that one's got like a very infectious groove to it it felt like thank you kind of like joyride with like more like upbeat so well, not upbeat but more like aggressive sounds i, I liked a lot thanks that's kind of what i was going for yeah actually um, i made it after hearing the new joyride album <laughs> oh that's what's up man yeah. Yeah. That uh, Skrillex collab again with is like one of my favorite tracks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, as I'm still okay. chasing the dragon on how loud and clean that master oh sounds. God, yeah. <laughs> Always works live um, too. Dude, the mix so on both of those super super clean and slapping. There's so many. There's so many other nicely titled whips in there that I want to listen to. What's <laughs> What's Thick Jumbo? I want to listen to Thick. Jumbo. I love Thick Jumbo. <laughs> That's just the title uh, alone is legendary old beat i was working on for someone's uh birthday i love that caught your attention because i always forget which one that is and i always tell him to play it oh, oops, it. i'm not not sharing screen whoops 
Tell him to play it again. <laughs> it's a thick Jimbo. That vinyl crackle, though. And stuff. Uh, what about what about presets in my butt or Halloween? <laughs> Maybe gnarly dad. Oh, I'll gladly play. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> so this one's super rough. I don't know if you guys know Vile, uh, Danica and Dylan from Calgary, but I actually just sent them the stems to this one, and they're uh, super super talented. So interesting to see what they'll do with it. <laughs> Death indeed. <laughs> or yeah, at least yeah. I've got presets in my butt. Presets in my butt. <laughs> into the uh when it goes into the breakdown is like you just literally set the building on fire this is this is this is amazing this is the life of a producer he's got so many beautiful whips that are basically finished with hilarious names 
then he'll probably show his friends 10 more times and maybe never get released. And then super hard and all good. There wasn't a single one in there. I was like, yeah, it's okay. Those are all great. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, super dope. So funny. Thanks for giving the people (laughs) an exclusive look into that, man. That's going to be, those are all going to be really awesome when they come out. I think people are going to really appreciate them. You're gonna oh yeah, definitely, definitely gonna finish those ones for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, guys. It was fun. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for being on. And people, go follow Squashed Out, uh, and be on the lookout for penis music. Because <laughs> and remember to check your webcam you light. Don't get caught tubing. <laughs> <laughs> As we move forward with phase two, don't get caught tubing. I'm always gonna use that term now. <laughs> Got to. Got to. And if you don't know. Google, Googlers beware. Mm. <laughs> On that note. Peace among worlds, humans. Hey. Peace among worlds. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. What's up, humans? Thank you so much for listening to the Human Music Podcast. We truly appreciate you. In fact, we made you a gift. Click on the link in the episode description to get our new sample pack for free. It has some of our favorite basses, FX, percussions, and Foley sounds to instantly level up your productions. As always, remember to rate and subscribe, and we'll get back at you with a new episode every Tuesday. Peace, and peace among worlds.